Thank you, Colby, for obeying your parents and stepping in for uh, your dad. You know, I was thinking about that when we're younger. Um, now, I don't need all these. When we're younger, we struggle obeying our parents, and it's like when they get when we get older, it's a joy. And I speak. My parents are here. My mother told me to come over and see her today, so I will obey her. <laughs> and it's a joy to to uh, to obey your parents as as you as you age. Thankful for um, the uh, Lord's Supper uh, thoughts. Uh, John summarized all of last lesson, my last lesson in his prayer. If you would, were paying close attention to his prayer, he summarized everything I said, and uh, which at least means he was listening last week. <laughs> and I'm thankful for his thoughts. Daniel's, I, I got to know Daniel last summer in uh, El Salvador. We worked together with the, uh, with the mission work there. And the, his rendition of that poem really summarized the entire Gospel of John and First John in one poem. Focuses us in on Christ. And I have the advantage. I know what I'm going to say. At least I have notes of what I'm going to say. And listening to what they were saying just uh, focused in to the lesson today. We could, if you knew what I, what I was going to say, we could just close our, our books and go home. But... Since you don't know, we're going to, I'm going to share with you what I've prepared. I want to read, not verse 7 there, I have 7 on the screen. It's actually the last part of verse 6 and 10 through 12 to introduce these thoughts. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And then down to verse 10, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life and he who does not have the son of God does not have life. We entered this section starting in chapter five a few weeks ago and I spoke of everyone's Intense desire to have joy. People want to have joy in their lives. And I made me think the only the person who is so depraved that his conscience is entirely self-centered wants to be a grouch or wants to be mean. You know, I, I've, I've met a few people that I think they, that's what they want. They want to be grouches. They want to be mean. But most grouches that I know uh, would love to learn how to have joy. Most people who struggle with meanness would rather have joy than turmoil in their lives. And so John gave the answer to us Christians of how we can have joy. He says, and his commandments are not burdensome. The commandments are not tiresome, irksome. In other words, the, God, the creator designed you, created you in such a way so that you can live in joy. He wants you to be a joyful person. That's the way he created you to be. And so he gives instructions. He gives commands. He gives his precepts. And he basically is saying, look, do this. This is how I designed you to live. You do these things and you will live a life of joy. And you know that's true. 
you know that when you do the opposite of those things, that he instructs you. And we're not going to go into the details because I did a few weeks ago. But if you do those things, if you live that way, your life will be full of joy. And then we ask in a two-part lesson, who wants to be a winner? Well, we all want to win. Uh, your, your last argument, whether it was yesterday or coming down the road to church today, was trying to win. You were trying to win that, that argument, that, that thought that you had. We want to overcome. We want to win. We want to be victorious in little things and in big things in our lives, in the small things and in the big things. And we saw that this victorious living is living in a new realm called reality, living in what is real. And, it, and so I said we need to leave that realm of feelings, that, that, that the way the world uh, causes us or, or tempts us to live, living according to our feelings, letting feelings det- determine our status between us and God. What dis- determines my status between me and God, my relationship between me and God is not how I feel right now. You know, some of the songs we sing really don't help us. Uh, I, I want to feel your presence. I think there's a song that goes along that line. It's okay to have feelings, okay? I'm not saying that. But Paul, would, I don't think, would sing that song, I want to feel your presence. He says, I want to know you. I want to know the power of, your re- of the resurrection. Not I want to feel your presence. And yet we live in our society focusing in on those feelings instead of what's true. And so to get out of that losing streak, we have to learn how to make faith choices. That's how we do this. We, we make choices based in truth. We have to think, learn how to think as Christians. And that truth is living Christ-centered lives. He overcame death for us, exactly what John and, and uh, Daniel were sharing with us. We accept the truth of that fact that he overcame death for us, and then we live our lives according to that truth. The world in which we live constantly tries to distract us, discourages us, and it does. And when, we, when it does that, we lose that Christ-centric living. That John just continually brings us back to. But even more fundamental than joy or victory, I want to ask this question. Who wants to live? Who wants to live? Without life, there can be no victory. Without life, there can be no joy. So to ask the question is to answer it. Of course, we all want to live. We all want life. And so fundamental in seeking this life is discovering what is true. I struggle with a achiness and cold this week. I'm not contagious now, but I, as soon as you know Julia is sitting there and she sends me water, and I'm glad she did now because I might have to use it. But uh, and my sister gave me a tissue just in case my nose starts running, which it is. So, so as I struggle with this lesson, please ignore my sniffs. When asked the question, "What is truth?" We read that verse in the second part of verse six. Where he says, and it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. You know, only the very young, naive, immature don't want to consider this question. What is truth? Sometimes you just kind of float through life without thinking. 
But even these, I believe, they don't they do not want to be lied to. We do not want to be lied to. I want to tell you a story when I was a child. You can throw up that picture on the screen because it illustrates it. I had to be about, I don't know, five years old. I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That's how I know this. And the popsicle man came by, you know, in the truck. And my parents, my mom gave me whatever it cost back in those days. A nickel for a popsicle? Maybe something. Yeah, uh, Jim actually remembers. He's saying it's a nickel. For one of those, and I remember getting a cherry popsicle. Stop, went out front, the front by myself, got my cherry popsicle. And a little neighbor girl came up and she said, give me a bite. <clears throat> I had reason to distrust her. All right. She, she was not a good little girl. And I was like, no, you know, I, yeah, I knew she was going to take my whole popsicle. And she said, just I promise, I promise I'll only take a little bite. You already know where this story is going, don't you? <clears throat> I'll only t- and I was like, uh-uh, because, I mean, she just had proven to me in the past that she wasn't trustworthy. So she said, listen, I'll put my hands behind my back when I take a bite. Well, I was a little naive, and I said, well, okay. She put her hands behind her back, and I put up my popsicle, and she leans over to take a small bite, and suddenly <laughs> takes like two-thirds of it. And I remember to this day <laughs> her running down the sidewalk away from me, with me holding that little popsicle with most of my popsicle gone. Now, I've gotten over that part, okay? Don't worry. Don't buy me popsicles, all right? <clears throat> well, I did what any five-year-old could do. I ran to my mother and said, Mom, the little girl, whatever her name was, she took my popsicle. She bit my popsicle. And my mother, in her wisdom, says, <laughs> who's sitting right here, she says, Well, Alan, you need to learn to share. <laughs> <clears throat> so, if I have a popsicle, I'll share two-thirds of it with, with you. Oh, my mom just said something. What? Oh, now she said she's going to give me, don't, I don't want a popsicle. <laughs> I got over that too, Mom. <laughs> I forgave you long ago for not taking up for me. <laughs> And John, though, has been, you know, a little child, we want the truth. You know, if the little girl had taken a bite of my popsicle, a little bite, it would have been okay. But she lied to me. She said she was going to take a little bite. She took it all, or almost all of it. John has, been, has had a method of showing us truth. All through this book, he's been showing us truth. And, you know, the neat thing about John, he almost writes in poetry. It's not poetry, but it's almost. When I first came to this passage here, in First John chapter 5, it, it was difficult. It is a difficult section. And it's filled with symbolism. It's filled with, you know, the symbols of water and blood and spirit, which we, we talked about last week. His words are full of symbolism, but we speak in symbolism. In fact, words are symbols. is really what they are. And so when we come to a new symbolism, we have to think about it. We have to ponder it out. And sometimes that's difficult. He uses simple words. These are very simple words, but they have deep meanings. For instance, we saw this word love. We, we spent a lot of time in love, and we found that love means more than just feelings. It's not just a nice feeling. It's, act, it's actions. And so we come to this word truth. And he's saying more than saying a true thing. A lot of times we think of truth as saying a true thing. He's, it's more than that. You know, we all follow what we think is true. All of us do that. Philosoph- philosophers, that's what they try to do. They attempt to discover truth. 
Plato said, all the little truths that you see around you really represent a greater truth with a capital T somewhere else in another dimension. And that's beauty. You know, we see a lot of beautiful things, but there's something that epitomizes beauty, capital B, somewhere else. I don't know what it is, he said. Love, same thing. We see love in, in little ways, but love in, in, its, in its essence is somewhere else and is bigger. Whatever you believe, truth, the truth is, it's because you either have thought that out, you've thought out what truth is, or you've decided to follow someone's truth. You've decided to follow someone else's thoughts. You're following maybe a crowd who believes a certain truth. And this is true with every part of society. The, par the parts of society that rebel are actually people who follow what they think is true. Let me give you some examples. In the 50s, we had the beatniks, right? I don't remember that. But I do remember the 60s and 70s when we had the hippies. In the 80s, you have the preppies, and now you have goth. We have these groups who rebel against the greater society in attempt to say, I'm not going to conform to the standard, your standards of truth. And in the process, they focus in on their own standard of truth. In fact, if you don't dress and speak and act like that group, guess what happens? You get rejected. If you're a hippie and you stop acting like a hippie, stop dressing like a hippie, the hippie's going to reject you. You see, it's just, you know, they, it's like they, they, they pull away and say, you know, I'm not going to be like everyone else. I'm going to be my own independent person. No, you're not. You're going to be like the group that you've decided to be with. That's your truth. That's what you're following. And yet, all these people are truth seekers. Every one of them are seeking what is truth. And yet, many of them are not truth finders. They haven't found the truth. So if we all follow something, if we're all going to follow something anyway, that's what you're going to do. No matter how independent you think you are, you are following something. If you're going to follow something anyway, how about trying to find out what is truth and follow the truth? This quest of following the truth, finding the truth, has eluded the brightest minds for centuries. Pilate asked the question. As, he stood, as Jesus stood before him and said, well, what is truth? What is truth? And that's the question that his philosophers had been asking. If you read philosophy, you'll find that all these truth seekers have tried hard to discover what truth is. And they've come to all different conclusions. Many of these people came to the end of their lives in despair depression, nothing made sense to them. In fact, there's a, there's a um, philosophy that means that, nihilism. Nihilism basically is saying nothing is true. Nothing is true. Everything is meaningless. That's their truth. Think about this. If your meaningless philosophy is meaningless, then that means there's something that has meaning. Your, your philosophy is meaningless. By becoming meaningless, if you believe in meaninglessness, then there's something that has meaning. 
That sounded very philosophical, didn't it? And one person got it. <laughs> Lauren. But that's true. In our search for truth, we're trying to find, well, what is truth? If we could discover what is truth and follow that truth. And if it told us how to live our lives, we would have what we want most. Joy. Victory. Bernie Madoff set up a lie. It's called a Ponzi scheme. He's not the first. A man named Ponzi started it. The, the name anyway, but there's Ponzi schemes before Ponzi. And the lie was, if you give me your money, you're going to get investment. You're a return on your money like double digits. I hope none of you invested with them. But you'll get double digits. And, you know, the reports come in. You feel good. That sounds great. I'm making lots of money. Only to find out there was no money there. It was a lie. Now, you felt good while you looked at the reports and you saw the financial statements and all this money. You're growing and it's growing and growing. But when you went to get it, it wasn't there. It was all a lie. When the truth was, you would get a, a safe return on your investment at, at about 2%. But no one wanted a 2%. They wanted a 20 30% return. People lost their life savings during that time. You know, and that sounds trite. Except unless you're the one who lost your life savings. Imagine spending 30 years of saving and sacrificing and putting aside money every month, 30, 40 years to find that it's all gone because someone lied to you. Jesus Christ is the truth. Verse 10. Let's read it again. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. This is John's point, that Jesus is the truth. And he's repeated this over and over in 1 John. And I've told you many times how this is circular. John keeps coming back around, reminding us over and over. He starts at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 6. And he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live by the truth. Here the truth is tied into how you live. Living in darkness, he said, does not sync up with the truth. So you can't live in darkness and live according to the truth. The word truth actually means that which is not hidden. It's exposed. It's seen. It's real. Going back to the Ponzi scheme. What was fake was 20%. What was real was 2%. That's real. And the people who wanted to make a lot of money didn't want to hear the truth. And so Jesus comes with the truth. Living in the truth. Here's the truth, folks. Living in the truth recognizes that we have sin in our lives. That's the truth. We hide it. We don't like it. We, we try to pretend that we don't. And we get in all sorts of trouble when we pretend that we don't have sin. And when we pretend that everything's okay, but he says, if we claim to be without sin, if you, if you pretend that there's no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in you. You have to recognize the truth. Sin is in my life. I've messed up. I have a hard time living the life I want to live. It includes obeying God, chapter 2, verse 4, and we could go on and on numerous times. He talks about the truth. And I showed you throughout the lessons that... You can substitute the truth 
for the word Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life that comes from the gospel of John. But that's what he's saying in the letter also. And if you don't see that throughout this letter, he makes it really, really clear in the in chapter five, verse 20, which we will cover later on. But we'll read today. He says, we know also that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And then he tells you who it is, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Our quest for truth is made simple for us. For centuries, people have been looking for what is the truth. And John says, know Jesus and you'll know truth. And he's not talking about in some ad, abstract, metaphysical, feeling sort of way. What he's talking about is he, he's saying, listen to what he says. Look at how he lived. That's concrete. It's objective. And you will enter into the realm of real thinking. You'll enter into the world of reality. Do you want to know what's true? Get to know Jesus. Do you want to know what's real? Get to know him. And then you'll know what truth is. John states the opposite also. He, he likes to state it in, in its opposite uh, side too. He says basically live outside of Christ and you'll, you'll not only live a lie, but you'll live the lie. And he says that all through the letter. Here's the lie. The lie is you can be like God. That's from the very beginning of Genesis, in Genesis. The lie is that you are independent of God. You don't need him. You can figure out life all by yourself. And that's why the world's a mess right now. That's why some of our lives are messes right now. Sometimes we're in chaos and destruction. And it's because we believe the lie. I'm in control. I can do it. Everything's okay. And it's really not. Because the Spirit testifies to Jesus, He's called the Spirit of Truth. We read that in verse 6. The evidence is in. John has been presenting this to us all this time. He, he presents it to us, and as I've said many times, as for you to make a decision. Here's the information, here's the evidence, He says. You've heard human testimony, and it's been laid out before you. John says, listen, I saw this, I heard it, I touched him, I ate with him, I listened to him, I examined him carefully, I examined carefully what I saw, what was before him. He's the word of life. He's the truth. And then we spoke last week of God's testimony. God gave this, his testimony through water, blood, spirit. If you weren't here, you can listen to it online. Jesus Christ is either the truth or he's the lie. There's no middle ground because Jesus doesn't allow for it. He doesn't allow for a middle ground. I want to put up something here that's going to be maybe offensive to some people. Not visually, but the words, okay? There's an actress. Her name's Jane Rogers. I don't know her. I had to look it up. All right. I think she's just a second-rate actress, some soap operas or something. 
She said this. What is truth? What is, yeah, what's the truth? The truth is what people want. Liars are basically idealistic. I, idealists. Liars are saints and prophets. Jesus was a liar. And she offers no evidence to that, but that's what, that's what she feels for sure. And Jesus really basically puts, him, puts himself out there and he says, you make the decision. You make the choice. What's true? I'm saying I'm Lord, he says. Jane says he's a liar. Some say he was crazy. He was a lunatic. C.S. Lewis brought that up. Some say he was made up. He was just a legend. It's just a story. Last week I talked about why one of the reasons I think this is not just a made-up story. And some people, I think, the most dishonest say, well, I'll just leave it. I'll just leave that to later. To say the least, at least Jane here is saying what she feels. I respect that more than the person who says, I'll leave it for later. I just don't want to talk about it. I'll talk about it later. Leave it. Leave it. I'd rather talk to someone who says Jesus was a liar or he was made up than someone who says, oh, well, I just leave it. Because there's no talking there. John, the apostle, said this. Choose Jesus. Choose life. Dismiss Jesus choose death. And really, that's where it's left for us. We have to make a decision. We have to look at this and say, well, is Jane right? Where's her evidence? I mean, if she's right, where's her evidence? Because here's the truth for me. If Jane is right, I want her to convince me because I am wasting my life. Because my life is wrapped around this person Jesus, and if he's a liar, I'm living a lie. I don't want to live a lie. I don't want my popsicle bitten off. All right? I want the truth. If John is right, you need to take a look at that too. Jesus Christ is eternal life, he says. Verse 11, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And John, throughout this whole thing, weaves this offer, this promise, this hope from the very first verses to the very, well, to the second to last verse in his letter. Over and over he said, look, I'm talking about life. Thirteen times he speaks of life. And many times he drives the point home in a way that, isn't readily seen here in the English because he uses that word, the life. And sometimes it's not translated in your English. But what is, it's, it's just, it's the same as when we say the with a italicized, we're really making a point. It's not life. It's not generic life. It's the life. And John does that over half the time. He'll emphasize it this way. And he ties it into what he calls eternal life six times. And again, Jesus, just as he was the truth, he is the life. He makes it crystal clear. This is what I believe, he says. And he makes a double emphasis in this, this verse here where he says, 
this is the, the eternal life in his son. He's basically he's saying eternal life, and literally this is the way it says, eternal life is in his son. We could put it this way, eternal life with an exclamation point. God has given us in his son with an exclamation point. Don't look for life, he says, not eternal life in anything else. You'll come up empty. Look for life in adventure, sports, money, status, friends, family, fame. Look for life in any of those things. You'll be disappointed. You'll not find it there. And this eternal life is this living for, it's not only living forever, that's a future promise, but it's something we currently have right now. It's a quality of life that is supernatural that we have right now. And we're learning to live out this supernatural life. It doesn't look supernatural, but it is supernatural. We live, learn to live it out right now in our daily lives. It's a daily living with our lives focused on Jesus, like a Christ-centric life. It's taking a look at his life and saying, what does he want? How does he want me to live? What instructions does he give me about this in my life? And then we put it into practice. You begin, you, you, it begins as you enter into that abiding relationship with him. And now we just learn to live it out. Chapter 2, verse 6 of 1 John says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And that's what supernatural living is all about. Learning how to live as Jesus. <clears throat> you could divide up the book of First John in three words. Light, love, and life. That would be a nice way to go through the book of John. Just light. See what he says about light. What he says about love. What he says about life. Do you want to live with a clear and right mind? That's light. Do you want to live in balance and in harmony? That's love. Do you want to have an excellent, superior, forever life? That's life. And he says, and it's only in Jesus. That's the only place you're going to find it. You'll not find light. You'll not be able to think clearly. You may think you're thinking clearly, but you won't think clearly. Unless you're in the light. Makes sense physically. Makes sense spiritually. You really won't know how to live a balanced and harmonious life without God's love in your life. And you won't walk through life excellent, superior living. Unless you're walking in the life of, of Christ. From the opening words in chapter 1 verse 1 to the very last he invites you to receive it. He says, this God has given. God has given. And that's, the word just means he, this is your gift. He's given it to you. Are you going to accept it? That's all we have to do. We don't have to earn this. We don't have to work for it. It's something that's offered to us by God. A free gift for the taking if you want it. I don't read a lot of blogs. Occasionally, someone will send me something on an email, which is very helpful, and I'm thankful for those. I'll find something on Facebook sometimes. And Facebook, you know, something will catch my eye, and I'll read it. And 
And this, I'm, I'm going to read a part of this, but it sums up what I'm saying very nicely. And because it's on Facebook, I know some of you have read it too, but it's worth the second read. It was a blog called Why the Church Doesn't Need Coffee Bars. Why the Church Doesn't Need Any More Coffee Bars. And he, she begins by saying more and more on my social media feeds, I've been seeing a lot of churches boast of the cool, trendy, new initiatives they have begun. I've seen pictures of coffee bars that resemble Starbucks. I have seen lighting that resembles one seen on Broadway. I've read catchy sermon titles and have seen how people have brought the movies into their sermons. My husband passed away February 14th. 2017. She goes on to say the struggles that he had. This, this is a young lady in her maybe 30s. And as he suffered, she says this. He never said how much he appreciated the coffee bars at church. Never once did he say he loved the lighting in the sanctuary. He never told me how cool it was. They put a couch on the platform. We have an old chair. He didn't boast of the graphics and the props. And the props on the platform. He talked about Jesus. He quoted scriptures. He reminded me of sermons we had heard. In the middle of the night, he sang songs of praise and worship to God and spent his time praying. Because nothing a church does to strategize to bring in members helps you in time of the storm. It is only Jesus. She goes on to talk about his death. And then she says, talks about how she misses him. As I drive to church during the week, I'm not thinking. I'm so glad the leadership is reading How to Grow Your Church books and adopting cool sermon series. I'm thinking how desperately I need Jesus. As I look at the two young children who have to grow up without their amazing dad at their side, I'm not thinking about how it was so awesome that their minister related the message to a Hollywood film. I'm thinking how much I need Jesus. When church leaders sit around and discuss how they reach people, I don't think they have widows in mind. I don't think they have the cancer patient in mind. I don't think they have children who are growing up without a parent in mind. I'm not paying attention to the church decor when I walk through the doors. I don't want to smell fresh brewed coffee in the lobby. I don't want to see a trendy pastor in the platform. I don't know if you have to worry about that. I don't care about the graphics or the props on the platform. I'm hurting in a way that's almost indescribable. My days are spent working full time, taking care of her children. She says, when I go to church, I desperately want to hear the word of God. Because there are days when I'm running on empty and a coffee bar in the lobby isn't filling me up. There are days when the pain is so brutal and a concert-like setting is not providing healing. There are days when the tears won't stop. 
in a trend-setting church is not what I need. I need Jesus. There are days I wonder if the pain is ever going to end, and the couch on the platform is not providing answers. The lighting, the coffee bars, relevant messages, graphics, other things, this is important, are secondary. Not unnecessary, but are secondary. And they serve no assistance to me in my hour, in the darkest hour of my life. There is in no way, this, excuse me, this is in no way a criticism of churches who have coffee bars, nice lighting, catchy sermon titles. However, in everything that is done, she quoted me, quoted John, we need to make sure that Jesus is at the center, Christ-centric. It's also a reminder that there are hurting people sitting in your congregation. There are people whose marriages are crumbling, people whose finances are deteriorating, people who are fighting, whose children are rebelling, and people like me who husbands, whose husband has passed away after a brutal fight with cancer. And these people are not impressed with stage lighting. They could care less about the coffee flavor. They don't need to be pumped or hyped. They need and are desperate for Jesus. And they may actually be turned off by all that they consider gimmicks to get people to come to church. I scroll down my media feed and I see churches with pictures of their coffee bars, their concert-like settings, their graphics, their Trinity sermon series. And those don't appeal to me. I want to see Jesus, how Jesus has changed a person's life. I want to see the power of prayer. I want to see how God, the word of God can be applied to one's life. I want to see how Jesus can help the hurting. I want to see how Jesus can heal the sick. I want to see how the brokenhearted can be restored. I want to see the mourners, how the mourners were comforted. I want to see how lives were restored. Rather than posting pictures of coffee bars, I'd rather see testimonies about the power of God. The church does not need any more coffee bars. They don't need the lighting. They don't need the concerts. They don't need the trend setting. They don't need couches on the platform. They don't need to dim the lights to attract people. Tell a person how God has changed your life. Show them the love of God through your actions. Demonstrate how God helped you through the darkest of storms. And I add to that, incidentally, that's not here. That's in your home. That's out there at the coffee shops with people. Church leaders, remember that you're not trying to attract the hip and cool to your church. You're reaching widows. You're reaching children that don't have a parent. You're reaching someone battling a disease. You're reaching a person going through a divorce. You're reaching a businessman who thinks they have all they need or other people who think they have all they need. You're reaching the hurting. The only thing they need is Jesus. I've explained in the past why I preach the way I preach. Sometimes you just have to put up with a cool preacher. <laughs> but that's not the point, is it? That's secondary. You know, it's okay to have PowerPoints. It's okay to have coffee. It's okay to do a lot of things. But when we, when we mess up and we think that's the point, we've missed it. The whole point is who Jesus is. How he changes our lives. 
how He causes us to treat other people. How He helps us grow in love. How He helps us walk through our darkest storms. That's what it's all about. And so my messages, I try my best and fail often, is to center them on Jesus. Because I know a lot of you, and I've talked to a lot of you, and I know the struggles that you've gone through and currently go through. And that's the truth. That's the truth. We can't do it without Him. <coughs> it's the cold. <laughs> See, now I'm coughing. All right. We have three elders. They're all here today. They're going to come up here in a moment. Are we singing?